0: If you haven't heard of Rajat Sethi and Shubhrasta, you should now. Rajat and Shubhrasta were important members of the team that built the Bharatiya Janda Party's election campaign in 2014. They were the team that brought high-quality data science to Indian politics and Prime Minister Narendra Modi to power. In 2016, the couple was sent on an even more ambitious project. To Assam. The Northeast so far had been a weak spot for the BJP. They'd never crossed 25% of vote share in any state at the time. So Rajat and Shubrasta were sent on a mission. Could the BJP break into the Northeast? And if so, how? The two spent some time studying the terrain, talking to people, studying the culture, the holidays, the celebration, the cultural pride. And they found that none of the incumbent parties were really able to tap into Assamese's pride and Assamis' identity. They found that there was local anger in the state about demographic changes, specifically about Bengali migrants, Hindu and Muslim. And then they found a story. The story is the Battle of Saraighat, a war fought four centuries ago between the Ahoms, the ruling class in Assam, and the Mughal army attacking from the west. The Mughals had been trying to occupy Assam for a while in the 17th century. They were more powerful, better equipped, and just had a much larger force. But, the story goes, what the Ahoms lacked in brute force, they made up in dexterity. They fought off the Mughals again and again, decade after decade. They used guerrilla warfare, cleverly timed diplomacy, Some luck and smarts. And they never allowed the Mughals to settle in. Finally, it's in 1671 that the Mughals had had enough and decided that they were going to come with the whole shebang. The big guns, the cannons, the warships, the admirals and the navy. And still, somehow, somehow, with sheer spirit, cunning and knowledge of terrain, the Ahoms won. Legend has it that the Mughal admiral was shot in the back while he smoked a hookah. This was the Battle of Sarai Ghat. And it was after this battle that the Mughals never bothered the Assamese again. This is the story Rajat and Shubrasta invoked in BJP's Assam campaign of 2016. Their campaign was called the last battle of Sarai Ghat. As in voting for the BJP was how you could express Assamese pride and voting for the BJP was how the Assamese could defeat the Mughals again. The last time, the final time, the one and only time. As they had intended, the BJP campaign touched a nerve and emotional need that had gone unattended by everyone else, and the BJP won that Assam election by a landslide.
1: BJP believes it scored its biggest victory today, the state of Assam. Five years ago, the BJP had just five seats.
0: Rajat and Shubrastha, two political analysts, were tasked with building a narrative that could rally votes, unite the largest demographic they could get their hands on, and sell them a story. Over the course of making this episode, I told the best and brightest product managers in Bangalore about the Assam campaign. And I asked them, does the thing that Rajat and Subrashita did, the mining of insights to win people over, the building of a thing based on an emotional need of people, then selling it back, is this product thinking? Does this sound like the work of a high-quality product manager? Everyone I spoke to said Yes. This is Cost to Company, the Ken's weekly podcast about work and workplaces. I'm your host Neha and this week we'll talk about product management and politics and the many ways in which a really great product manager is also a really great politician. Sarayaghat was the only place on the Brahmaputra River that was narrow enough for Ahom troops to attack and take down Mughal warships. Lachit Borpukan is the man who chose Sarayaghat as his place of attack. And it was he who led the troops into battle on that fateful day in 1671. Lachit Devas is a holiday in Assam celebrated every year on November 24th. To Rajat and Shubhrasta, This was symptomatic of the fact that if you could invoke Sarai Ghat, you could invoke Assamese pride. This was an emotional, evocative story for the Assamese. This could be harnessed politically. And this is what a product manager would call insight.
2: What you described is somebody going in and doing a lot of work to get a insight
0: this is prajesh bharadwaj he heads product and growth at fampay and he's credited with building the dunzo daily product
2: so if you if there is no insight there is no strategy if there's no strategy there is no product building there's no execution there's no marketing so the definition of an insight is a like some piece of information that uh, changes direction of what you believed before like in your example the belief could be that hey it's it's very hard for us to win in a sam uh, but they found this insight which sort of uh, takes questions that assumption or it's it's a piece of information that reinforces the direction that you have picked finding insights is the number one skill that a pm sort of brings to the table because it's at the top of the funnel you start with an insight
0: The first thing a product manager must do is figure out his insight.
2: I think it was October, somewhere 2020, if I remember correctly. Uh, And the Danzo initial model was there are going to be a bunch of stores and uh, people should be able to order from these stores uh, and we will deliver it in a quick amount of time. Uh, That model was getting hard to scale. A, because the stores are not incentivized to sort of deliver a consistent user experience, right? So depending on which store you buy your tomatoes from, the, the quality of those tomatoes might be dramatically different.
0: So one insight from literally people complaining all the time was that people care a lot about getting consistent quality of products. Then there was a second insight that nobody really cares where their order is coming from. Consumers are largely store ambivalent, but quality sensitive. This may seem obvious to a listener now in 2022, but back in 2020, it changed Dunzo's entire strategy.
2: Are they ordering things which are very specific to the store? Uh, what percentage of our orders are like specific to a store that, hey, this is a product that you'll only get in like, whatever, like Balaji Traders, but you will not get in like Green Mart. Uh so when we looked and we started probing on this, we sort of realized that a very large percentage of our orders were things that had nothing to do with the store. Uh, it, it was like the usual stuff, like it was like about 1,500 to 2,000 products that were constituting a large percentage of our grocery orders.
0: Next, you're going to listen to Anuj Rathi, among the oldest product managers in India, who began by building products in the earliest days of Flipkart, was VP Product and Growth at Swiggy for four years, where he is now SVP of Revenue and Growth. Anuj Rathi is going to tell us about the insight underlying Swiggy 1.
3: Users don't want to second guess or basically see Hey, in this restaurant, there is free delivery. In this restaurant, there's no free delivery and, and so on. Like you want to re- remove like the cognitive load, etc. So when we were doing uh, Swiggy Super, it had evolved into a three-tier program. And not all restaurants were there for all, uh, um, for all the all the tiers. And and Swiggy being the complicated beast that it is, it also had like this kilometer guardrail that, hey, in this particular pack, you can get only restaurants up to five kilometers. In this pack, you, you'll get restaurants up to three kilometers or 10 kilometers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What it eventually meant as a product that uh, when a user comes and logs into Swiggy, uh, there will be free delivery, yes, and buy one, get one offers, etc. But there will not be restaurants uh, sometimes that were available to the user. um, And they would not like this.
0: The insight underlying the inception of Swiggy 1 was that nobody likes to pay for delivery. But they also don't want to search for ways in which to not pay for delivery. They want to not pay for delivery, but without thinking too much about it. It was this human insight, this wisdom about the consumer that made Anut sunset the Swiggy super program, which was a cumbersome, complicated beast for the user and moved to Swiggy 1. A one-time payment and all your deliveries are free. And I like, you know, this sort of parable of this Shubhrasta Rajat and what they did in Anasam. Because they went in, probably did a lot of ground reporting, ran a lot of tests. And uh, f- focus groups and probably figured that, you know, this is something that people want and um, and what what you know psychological or emotional skills do you think it needs to be able to to translate into insight
3: absolutely i think it, it the number one thing that is required is empathy uh, there is really no other no other trade that will help you as much uh, look as product managers you take decisions on on these three vectors right you you need a lot of empathy you need a lot of intuition and you need a lot of data and when you are starting something completely new there won't be a lot of data available because you wouldn't have run any experiment you could observe hey what has happened i can just look at that and i'll I'll use that uh, and i'll use that data but i'll not completely build my strategy on top of that i will use a lot of empathy to understand what the problem is what is going on and why are these people not doing in case of uh, Assam's case, for example, you say, why have people not voted the BJP in yet? Or what, what, what has been going on? Why uh, are these people unhappy? And getting to the absolute root of that. So segmentize your uh, you know, population-based, citizen base, user base. Really try to understand which are the key insights that are maybe common across these. And then you use a lot of intuition to launch your campaign or launch or build a product, which is, if I do this, then this should happen.
0: The empathy is what it takes to understand why a consumer is behaving in a particular way, why they vote a particular way, or respond to incentives in a particular way. To build a political campaign or a tech product, first you need an awareness of behavior and emotions for which you need empathy. And to be clear, product managers aren't the only ones looking for insight and building on empathy. Marketing people also do that. But for product, it's one step up. You're now going to hear from Vikram Bhatt, who is Chief Product Officer at Good Worker, which connects blue collar workers to jobs and other life opportunities.
4: Uh, I think product managers and designers should be reasonably good psychologists. This was especially true for marketing, right? Um, so, of course, you know, when you talked about FMCG goods, um, I guess, you know, there was little... Uh, I was, I was, there was less effort required in terms of creating the product, but more in terms of marketing the product, but in the area of product management, given that you're, you know, a lot of the times creating, uh, complex technology-based solutions, you know, which may appear simple, but you know, these are really complex technology-based solutions. You need to really understand, uh, the motivations, the fears of the user, even before building the product. Right. And then of course the same knowledge or understanding is used to market or present those products back to those
0: uh, users. Hi, this is me nee Sneha popping by to say that if you like our work, if it enriches your career or life in any way, please hit follow wherever you listen to our podcasts. So you'll know every time a new episode drops. And if you can rate us, that would also help us bring more and better podcasts to you. Thank you and back to the episode. But once the empathy has become insight, and insight has become sort of a conviction in a product, the product manager has a totally different task at hand. The product manager now needs to sell the idea. A product manager needs to get executives, engineering, design, finance, legal, branding, onto his or her vision of the product she wants to build. Actually, she has to get them to build this product for her. And she has to do it with no real authority over those departments. And they may not always be happy to come on board. Vikram says it's a product manager's job to sell an idea that can't yet at the outset be verified. Even when the idea doesn't come with certainty, especially when there's no real evidence yet.
4: Right. Uh, So in the beginning, you do need a little bit of evangelism. You need some uh, blind marketing, right? You don't know exactly whether it's going to be a success or a failure. You don't know if the people who are going to use it are, you know, going to be champions at the end of you know their usage, right? I mean, you don't know if the success metrics that you've set out will actually be successful or not, right? But you have to take a bet on it. It is important to keep the train moving, right? Keep the you know the the folks in the team aligned and motivated. And obviously, you know, when you don't know exactly what the result is going to turn like you know, what you're saying in terms of motivating them could be considered a white lie.
0: This reminds me a little bit of the task entrusted to Sardar Patel in 1947. India at the time was made of imminently free, independent India and 565 princely states. And the princely states had three options. They could remain free, they could join Pakistan or they could come to India. And Patel was the man who had to convince 565 monarchs to give up their power, their titles, their lack of accountability, willingly and happily and enthusiastically join the Federation of India where they would be mere citizens, uh, just rich people with fancy jewellery and the same rights as everyone else. Gandhi wrote to Patel saying, the problem of the states is so difficult that you alone can solve it. Patel solved it. He did it bloodlessly, painlessly, by inviting these rulers to his home in Delhi for tea and lunch and selling the idea of India hard. That democracy was good for their subjects. That democracy was an ideal worth making sacrifices for. That the country that did not yet exist would be a good country and a solid democracy. He had no way at the time to know how India would pan out. He had nothing to show for the idea of India except a belief, a conviction but he sold it successfully anyway. But how do you sell an idea?
5: Let's call it a political manifesto that someone comes out with. is very similar to what we call a product requirements doc or a PRD.
0: This is Priyanshi Poddar, who worked in product for two years at Cred and is now product manager at Club with a K, a fintech that's trying to make funding easier to manage for VCs.
5: Because the point of the PRD is, not so much to capture details as much as it is to just convince people and the idea that they say that the best product managers are the best storytellers and that's very similar to what you're describing where someone has to take one theory one concept and just convert it into something that will get a lot more people aligned and a lot more people on the same page. Like, give them a common mission to fight for, effectively. That's all about, I mean, that's what product management is all about.
0: And how do you give people a common mission? Like, how do you look for it? So, I think it's, I think it's all
5: about uh, finding a way to unite people, right? So, when you're a PM, technically, there isn't much that you can do yourself. You rely entirely on other people and their work, but you're just the face of whatever you're delivering. And I think how you do that is you really have to go into understanding what makes people tick. You really need to get to the depth of um, what motivates them, why are they here. And the best part is everyone's different. So the way you need to convince a developer is very different from how you need to convince someone in marketing versus convincing your CEO. So probably the smartest thing you can do is just talk to them separately. I used to do that a lot. I would never like bring people into the same room because I would be telling them different stories about why we should do this.
0: Interestingly, in their book, The Last Battle of Sarai Ghat, Rajat and Shubhraaswar talk about this about the fact that it's so difficult to keep a narrative of a national party consistent in different state elections. You need different narratives for different geographies, and they may not always be consistent. So I think,
5: I mean, I built quite a few features um, back at Cred, and I think to a designer, it was a lot more about, it was a lot more about how this will be delightful experience for the user. You know, you focus more on that. That, you know, that's the narrative you go with. And you have to pump them up from that perspective. You have to give them a lot of freedom in a different way, where where you're not really telling them that, oh, we should use this color or we should use that font. But you're just telling them that this is your opportunity to let your creative juices flow. And I'm not going to say, you're actually telling them quite a few things but you're continuously pretending, like, you know what? I'm not going to say much. Like, you figure it out. But on the other hand, when you go to a developer and in some of the features I build, a developer is always looking for something very specific. A developer wants to think that you have it all figured out and you know exactly what you want. So to them, you go in with a, like, a designer is way more open ended, but a developer, you go in with just, this is what I want to do. Nothing plus minus. Esa banado. And that kind of works well for us.
0: Patel used a similar strategy. Different princely states were lured to the same project of India with different carrots. Some were promised lavish bursars. Some were promised a bright future for their people. A moral cause. Some immunity from legal prosecution and exemption of customs charges. And some were treated with a light threat of military force.
5: I think one aspect about being a product manager is a lot of times you're not convinced about something that you're trying to build okay there is someone else who's told you that we need to do this or this is the approach we're taking and then you become the person who has to go and sell it to everyone else so I mean I think the biggest white lie I would have told is if someone asked me are you sure this is a good idea and I'm like yeah of course it's a great idea like this is gonna Increase our GMV by 10%, or this is going to increase the number of people coming to the app by 20%. I don't know that. I have no idea if that's going to happen. But I'll sit in that room and I'll say it with so much conviction just so that I can move forward. I mean, deadlines a little bit. There is a tendency to, I mean, I used to give people different deadlines a lot of the times. Because I knew that one person takes longer and someone else is is actually very particular while someone else always takes two, three days more. So deadlines were also a little bit of a white lie at some point. I think the third white lie a lot of times was telling a telling one stakeholder that the other stakeholder is convinced and then going to the other stakeholder and saying the first one is convinced. So things like that. Because it's all about optics, it's all about perception. It's that's how
0: that's the game. You read the room, you tell a story, you make a promise to everyone you need and you make it with conviction. Did it ever happen while you were trying to build a product that someone else's interests were just not aligned with yours? They were incentivized for completely different things. Of course. I mean, see, as
5: a product manager, you are always going to be trying to solve for long term. Okay, your aim is to build for scale, because you're always scared that your engineers are going to put an effort into something that they will then have to replicate. This concept is called tech debt, which you want to avoid at all costs.
0: Technical debt is the idea that you'd rather build something well and take longer than build something that constantly needs to be reworked and rebuilt. And this is a sort of conflict point between engineering and pretty much any other business vertical.
5: Now a business team or a marketing team or mostly any other team always wants the solution immediately. So for them it's about what can you do really quickly or you know how can you take this out really fast. So in that way, in terms of just a method of prioritization or a method of solutioning, product team always operates in a completely different tangent mostly as compared to other teams. First of all, how do people disagree with you? How do they fight back?
0: Hmm. What is the what are the conflicts and tensions you have to navigate? So it depends on your relationship with that stakeholder. I've had some stakeholders
5: who've gone super aggressive on me. How can you say this? You always say no. How can it take six months? Business kese chalega. So there's a lot of that very aggressive stakeholders, honestly, largely male. Hmm. Um, and then you have another type of stakeholder who will be very formal with you that are but can you try to work something out? Can we please figure this out? You see like this is my business goal, this is why I need this next month. I'm sure there's something you can do. and if either of those don't work, there's always an escalation mechanism. Now, I was lucky enough to have a manager who would shoot these down. He was just like, if Priyanshi said, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But there are some other managers who will come and question you and say, why are you saying it's going to take six months? Why can't you take out a smaller version? Just ha- hacky solutions. That's a whole thing. Don't, can you hack your way into it? You know, that that's a very common
0: trope in the business. Sometimes Priyanshi and her manager play good cop and bad cop. And more often than not, Priyanshi is the bad cop. So I think
5: my way of approaching this is usually to just lay it all out on the table. It's a very like, if you do this, this is what will happen. So I don't say no. You know, if push comes to shove, I'll say, cool, I'll do it. No problem. But I'm, here are like five other things I'm not going to do. or here is a number, I will do this for you, I will make it happen in one month. Here is a number you need to reach, you know, you need to get me this much sales, you need to get me this much audience or whatever it is, some number. If you don't get that number, you cannot come to me one more time and ask me to do this for you. So you're kind of putting the ball back in their court. Exactly, you're just putting that back on their in their court and asking them that I'm committing to you now you commit to me. And You'll be surprised the minute you want people to commit, a lot of them go on the back foot. A lot of them turn it into, but it's just an experiment. yeah." So at that point, I'm like, exactly for your experiment. You want me to derail my entire roadmap. That's not going to happen. How many people did you need to work with to conceive and ship a product? Oh, wow. That's a great question. It's a lot of people. Um... If I had to give you a number, there was this particular feature, not a feature, actually a product that I worked on at Grad, which was a pretty big one. It was relaunching an entire section of the app. It took us about six months, almost give or take. I was the only product manager on it, apart from my manager. You know, our Slack group, that's the number of stakeholders I worked with. Our Slack group had almost 125 people. And I was the only product manager on that.
0: So you were managing a product, I'm sorry, with 125 people. Yeah. And this doesn't, this,
5: doesn't include, uh, this doesn't include business. If I include business team, then it's about 150 people or 160 people.
0: You are managing 160 stakeholders and you are yeah. the only person in charge. In charge is a
5: nice way to put it. I would say I was the only person accountable. Anything going wrong was my fault. Anything going great was something for the team to enjoy. But when things went wrong, or when a decision was incorrect, or we had to redo something, or something wasn't happening on time, or anyone was unhappy for any reason, that had that kind of came down to me. It was fun. I mean, I had a great time doing it. I learned a lot. But yeah, that happens.
0: And how many of these hundred and sixty people were? reporting to you? Zero. 150.
5: Zero people were reporting to me. That's why in product management, there's something called influence without authority. That's the whole theory. And I think that those six months is when I learned that the most.
0: We're back to Brijesh, who's going to tell us a little bit about how he sold the idea of Danzo Daily.
2: The gully cricket version of doing this would be to sort of convince your uh, designer that hey you should sort of move in this direction versus this direction now there is convincing like the entire company to sort of change what is the heart of what Danzo is uh, that was humongous
0: what Danzo daily was going to do what brijesh was selling was a fundamental change in the company what kind of resistance and how did you win it over
2: uh, I think more than sort of resistance it was it was this general sort of, like, skepticism that hey, like, is this actually sort of like true, right? People don't. If you present like, like, information that is telling them that this is the right direction, the only question is that how legit is this information? Like, have you done this? Have you done it in the right way? Is this, uh, is this? mathematically is this statistically significant is this really happening do we have a long enough behavioral sort of uh time frame have we done this long enough to know that okay this behavior will not suddenly like shift back to like the old way uh, those were all the concerns and very valid concerns uh, and every time somebody brought up a concern we would just address it with information that we had and it, that's the great part about being able to sort of experiment. Were you
0: selective in the information you re, uh, uh, you revealed?
2: 100%. Because you do, also don't want to overwhelm everyone with everything. Uh, so I, I'm always thinking about what is the least amount of information that I can give this person to convince them. Like if I... And uh, even when I'm sort of editing uh, documents that my team writes... I'm always thinking about can you say this in lesser words? Can you say this with lesser information? It's even like what are you allowing them to see? Right? Like most people have, they're doing 100 things, right? And your information is just one part of their day. And you don't want to give them 10 pieces of information, even though all of those 10 pieces of information are supporting your argument right they, they are supporting your argument you shouldn't give them 10 pieces of information you should give them the least number of information that they will that you believe will convince them so i used to reveal in parts ki chalo, i told you two things you're still not convinced here is the third thing okay you're still not convinced here is the fourth thing
3: so,
0: you know what i'm thinking about first just uh, nrc first nrc only in assam then let's do nrc in india then acha yes ca bhi hai See, it's completely unrelated. Nothing to do with each other. (laughs) Don't say anything. Brijes sold the idea consistently, frequently, every opportunity he could. First with small pieces of insight. Then with bigger pieces, slowly building the sell over time. Brijes thinks his great success was selling the idea internally, deftly, with evidence, with regular and sustained communication of evidence, by building an argument and a narrative over time. Like a social media handle consistently delivering political messaging six times a day.
2: Uh, So I think the biggest skill was to A, like I said, constantly keep talking to everyone about what I'm finding, what is happening, what's, what's, what's new, why am I excited about this, etc. So they all came through with me on that journey. Uh so when I eventually presented, nobody was surprised. It, it all felt very obvious to them because hey, for the last four months, brijesh has kept sharing information that has led us to this point. So when I eventually made the big reveal, it wasn't a big reveal. It was like, huh, sure, yeah, like, it's stupidly obvious that we should do this.
0: Of course, every product manager just has their own style. We're back to Anuj Rathi from Swiggy, who tells us about the next stage of the process, building consensus.
3: For example, your engineering manager may have a different point of view. You know what, we will take nine months to build it because I need the platform to be in a certain way. But your business guy may say, I want it launched in two months. I don't care about the engineering hacks that you take. The designer may be pure written and and purist that, you know, unless every pixel is perfect, I'm not going to let it launch. And the business or the strategy may be completely different. You cannot give them lose-lose situations. So in, in some cases, everybody else is losing. Your job as a product manager is to create these scenarios. Okay, If I take, you know, if it takes six months and if we take this kind of design and I will be able to hit these business metrics in this time and this is what the roadmap would be. That's strategy one. And here's an alternative. This is the strategy two where I launch it fast, um, go with a shitty design, but we'll be able to test faster. And these are the pros and cons of that. And there's another scenario.
0: This is the political equivalent, I think, of grassroot governance. When stakeholders are brought into the process, all competing interests are laid out, consensus is built. Anuj takes this to a whole other level. He literally draws up divergent ways of doing the same thing, plays out how each way would work for everyone. He invites everyone into the problem, presents the alternatives and builds consensus around one. It is said that this is Sundar Pichai's true greatness as a product manager. And now as a CEO. He listens. He brings people in. He wins them over. And the most effective political parties are also usually the ones that rally their booth workers the best.
3: I think the product manager, if they are able to create these scenarios and then run everybody through their decision-making process on why they are recommending what they are recommending, and then say, bringing people to the same page and saying, this is the decision and why is this decision? And I am responsible for the outcome. And, And we are all in this together. But uh, unless you do that, then it becomes uh, almost because, hey, just because you had authority, you, you took some decisions and everybody is pissed off and nobody really knows why did you not listen to me what I was saying. It's going to be a trade-off. Uh, I think the ability to explain your trade-offs, why these are the ones that I'm using for that decision uh, is the way at least I, um, I try stakeholder management.
0: Priyanshi does
3: this in a slightly different way.
0: Okay, so there's a slight, I'm, 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 I'm gonna, there's a conflict here, is that you're saying you did, you want to keep people on the same page, but you've also said to me before that you want to do it separately. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How do you do both of those? <laughs>
5: um, so when I say you want them on the same page, you want them on the same page about the end goal. The higher level, what are we working towards? The why or the what? Be on the same page for that. The how is actually different for different people. So you tell some people that I need this task to be complete in 60 days. but then you might go and tell someone else, I need it to be complete in 45 days because they need more time. I know that they're going to delay. I know that they're going to mess this up for me. So just the getting to the goal is different, different journeys, but the goal is the
0: same. And that kind of works. So you're probably thinking product managers need to tell their stories and win over people. But doesn't everyone? Don't we all have to win over people by telling good stories? Don't we all need some political skills at work? Rajesh from FAMPAI has interesting thoughts about it and he will use the metaphor of cricket.
2: I do see a lot of similarities in what a good politician should be doing and what a good PM should be doing uh, because they're both in the sport of leadership and probably politicians are at playing the game at the highest level and we are sort of learning like somewhere at the bottom. Leading a country is probably the pinnacle of our sport. If you look at if, if you look at what we do as a sport, uh, like how cricketers start playing in the gullies and then go play for India, uh, PMing is probably like, n- not even like Ranji Trophy, it's like somewhere below, uh, it's like probably like second division or something.
0: If the politician is the ODI champion, the product manager is playing the same game in second division, and the game is leadership. This is to say that every product manager has their own voice, their own style. In the beginning, it's gut instinct, intuition and understanding why humans do the things they do. From that point on, the paths digress. Some communicate as little as they need to. Some bring all stakeholders on the table with fullest transparency. And some bring them on the table for the what and the why, but not the how. Some play good cops and bad cops. Some keep different people in different rooms and say different things to them. Some tell white lies. Some play with information they have to dispense. Like Sardar Patel, like Narendra Modi, like Rajat and Shubhrasta, every product manager has a distinct method of rallying people, building a narrative and finding out what makes them tick. Just like every politician.
1: This was a podcast from The Ken. This episode of Cost to Company was written, hosted and produced by Sneha Vakharia with audio engineering by Rajiv C.N. If you have thoughts, feelings or episode ideas, write to us at podcast at the-ken.com. If you like the podcast and want to know more, follow the Ken web on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Don't forget to give the show a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple and follow us wherever you get your podcasts so that you get a notification when the next episode drops. I'm Srivara and in the next episode of Cost to Company, I'll be speaking to you about a phenomenon that you probably haven't heard of, but have been a part of anyway. Offboarding. Since the past two years, many companies are paying top dollar to see off their employees in the best way possible. Be it with expensive gifts, flowery handwritten letters, or even letting the employees keep their work laptops, among other things. Why are they doing this? to reduce attrition, increase their goodwill in the market and on LinkedIn or to get these employees back in the org? Is offboarding just a fancy term that's used by a selected few or is offboarding the new onboarding? We'll find out in the next episode. Stay tuned.